Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Girls on Film. My name's Anna Smith. I'm very excited to be here at Cinemagic in Belfast. Cinemagic is an award-winning Northern Ireland-based film charity and is the leading film and television festival designed for and by young people in the UK and Ireland. So with my guests today, we're going to be reviewing a couple of current releases. We're going to talk about Maleficent, Mistress of Evil and the film Home. We'll also be talking about some of our guests' favourite female-led films. My first guest is an actress and a writer. She's born in Belfast. Her name is Brona Taggart. Please welcome to the stage, Brona. Hi. Hello. So great to have you here. Thank you. Now, tell us a little bit about your work. Give us the headlines. Um, I am an actor and a writer, and I was an actor since I was really young, actually. I got to start here in theatre in Belfast, and I didn't come to writing until I was much older. Um, I was like, kind of towards 30 even um, before I got into it, but I managed to balance the two now. You still look so young and fresh-faced. <laughs> Amazing. Mm. But also, may I say congratulations, because you had a baby seven weeks ago. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And you're here. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I've got the bags to, <laughs> to prove it. But And it's nice to be out of the house. So is thanks it, for inviting me. a lovely novelty. Yeah. <laughs> no screaming babies. Congratulations. Thank and you a special thank you for coming to Girls on Film. No, not at all. You know, um, so let's talk a little bit through your work in more detail. Um, tell us, first of all, about some of the writing work that you've done. Um, I mostly write for television although I have done films and they are something I'm interested in I would just love to do more and it is something that I plan on doing more but most of my work I do with CBBC and BBC and dramas for like Channel 4 and BBC like commissioned dramas um, in terms of developing new shows and stuff for them. Any titles do you want to flag up on the CBBC? Um, a lot of the CBBC shows are Millie in Between, um, we did Danny's Castle before that, we've literally just launched Flatmates which has just um, landed on iPlayer and we're getting ready to do series two and we start next week. <laughs> so so yeah. you're a very busy lady. Yeah, at times it can be really forlorn and quite a chore to kind of juggle because um, I do end up kind of writing on a few different shows at the same time. Mm -hmm. Not always just on the one, which I think would be quite nice, but um, you never want to complain when you're busy because you just realise how lucky you are to be kind of working in the industry and having work to talk about. And do you think um, both sides of your work benefit from the fact that you are both an actor and a writer? I don't think I would have ever came to writing had I not been an actor before right. and I realised it was something that was always there. I don't know whether I was just too nervous or whatever. I actually only felt the confidence to do it when I moved from Belfast to London and I felt like nobody knew me as an actor maybe there and I was kind of starting out that I had the confidence to kind of start writing as well because um, I realised here if I'd started writing I would have had to show my work to people that maybe just knew me as an actor and right. I just it was really like scared of that kind of judgment and stuff so I do think the two go hand in hand and make me 
um, not better, but have an understanding of how the other one works. And I, I do think it's true. I know it's like said a lot that actors make you know, good writers, but I think it's purely because we spend so much time dissecting scripts as actors that we might kind of have a like a knack for kind of dialogue. I know it's said a lot, but I kind of believe in that. We've got a trailer for um, a film that you wrote, produced and starred in, Guard. <laughs> um, it's a female-led boxing film. Yeah, it was me trying to do my best, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> um, it was just a, a real dream kind of job for me because I'd wanted to write a film for so long and maybe been putting it off and the story came to me and I, I was able to write it in a couple of hours which I'm never that quick with writing and get it on a page and um, we got to make it my husband directed it and we started we actually crowdfunded it which was brilliant, brilliant. Well yeah, yeah, because we realised that that was the only way we were going to get it to work and the crowdfunding went so well and just exceeded all expectations and just started the ball rolling and we just realised, oh God, we're actually going to get to make this because so many short films don't get and, I'm, and we realised like how hard it is to do that but um, we got some brilliant people attached and you realise that if you put the energy out there and stuff, people mm -hmm. will work and will help you make your little short film and... Yeah, we got to go to some great film festivals and stuff, and it was just a, a story that I was wanted to tell. Yeah, obviously. Well, we've been seeing it. some great short films here at Cinemagic, and it's wonderful to see the amount of talent out yeah. there. But as you say, it's incredibly hard work as well, so you need all that support. Yeah, absolutely. What advice would you give anyone wanting to make a short film? Don't let anyone else put you off because we just kind of maybe assumed that we would get the funding and stuff. But, you know, it's and not that it's your fault. You can be turned down for funding for so many reasons. You have to jump through so many hoops when you're looking for funding that the chances are you might not get it. But don't don't let that put you off. Like it, it took a lot for us to think, right, well, if we want to make it, then it's just going to have to be us to make it. And it took a lot of time and energy and the crowd, we, we really went for the crowdfunding, but it worked out. And there was a nice kind of creative control that yeah. came out of that because we then really were the ones in charge. We didn't have to answer to other people for notes or changing story or changing characters. But, you know, the other end of that is that you have to stand by it. So all the mistakes are yours as well. But I just wouldn't I just wouldn't let anyone put you off. I wouldn't let a door close in, you know, don't say, well, well, that's it. I can never tell that story or I can never make it. Because if you really want to tell the story, there are ways to do it. And you've said you really want to tell this story. And obviously the fact that it's a female boxer mm. is, is unusual. Is that something that you think is harder to get financing for when it centers around a woman or you need to go different channels? I don't know. I feel like um, a lot of, well, a lot of funding bodies and film companies are open to more female-led stories. We, we, we see that now. They, you know, they mm -hmm. put the call out and they search for it. So it wasn't that. I think it was more, I, I don't know why, but I do feel drawn to sports movies. I love sports movies. It's the fact that though I grew up always watching male-led um, sports movies and I never got to see, there was a few, I remember like a league of their own, you know, mm -hmm. um, coming out and just this being a big phenomenon because it was just about a female sports team. And because I love watching sports films, I was, I thought, well, actually, why, why can't we, you know, maybe that's something I can, I can tell as well. Bravo. We should have more of them. Totally agree. Thank you. Well, please stay on, meet our next mm -hmm. guests, and we'll carry on having a chat. The next interview is with a filmmaker to watch out for, the writer and director of the horror The Devil's Doorway. She was earlier this month unveiled as the recipient of the second Academy Gold Fellowship for Women grant, which launched in 2018 to support emerging female filmmakers. Please welcome Ashlyn Clark.
Hello, welcome to Girls on Film. Glad to be here. <laughs> I hear you've been jet-setting around. I have. I've been travelling non-stop. How was the, the big award grant ceremony? What happened? Um, well, they had a very fancy do in Claridge's in London and uh, put on a lovely lunch with <laughs> champagne, all that. And then they gave me my award and I said thank you very much. Fantastic. And then where does it go from here? Well, basically it involves a year's kind of support by the Academy. So they kind of take you under their wing. You have to go to LA a few times and go to various events and I get to go to the Oscars party. So all that fun. Brilliant. Fun. Oscars party. <laughs> mm -hmm. Have you been before? No, I haven't. Excellent. First time. Yeah. Oh, well, have an amazing time. Need to time. get a frock sorted. <laughs> yeah. That's the priority number one, I think. Yes, it really is. Yes. Yes, yes. Are you going to do a costume change or just stick with the one? I think I'll stick with the one. Yeah. One's enough. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, we look forward to seeing the pictures for that. <laughs> but I'm commentating on the TV in the UK. I'll be watching out for you over there on the red carpet. So The Devil's Doorway, tell us a bit more about that. Uh, the Devil's Doorway is a horror film set in a Magdalen laundry. And if you don't know what those are, those were church state run institutions where women were kept for basically any reason at all, um, having sex outside marriage, getting pregnant, or even just being too pretty and considered to be a danger to the community. Wow. So the last one closed in 1996. It's an odd ancient history. And um, the producer actually came to me with the idea of making horror films set in a Magdalene laundry. And I thought that could be either a terrible idea or that could be a really interesting thing to do. I think the best horror is horror that, when horror is used as a metaphor to dig into social trauma. So yeah. I thought, I don't want somebody else to make this film and to do it badly. Well, so that's kind of how it happened. Massive congratulations, obviously Thank went you. very well. Let's have a look at the trailer. Reverend Mother, would you like to comment about what's been going on? There is evil in this place. What's happening here? This room is off limits, father! Something going on in this house. Hello? You are not prepared for this, Father Riley. I've seen moving statues. I've seen water turned into wine. I've seen miracles, John. But that's not what's happened here. Prepare yourself, Father. Well, that looks pretty terrifying stuff. <laughs> and very appropriate for our sort of Halloween episode mm -hmm. here as well. Um, but the levitation, how do you do the levitation? Can you tell us about tricks about that? Well, actually, that was a stunt double right. in a body brace and hooked up to some kind of apparatus. Wow. So, yeah, there were quite a few stunts in it, which was mildly terrifying for me, having never done stunts before. There's um, no other way to levitate unless you're mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you touched on sort of what it has to say about gender and such like. But what would you say the message of the film is in terms of obviously these institutions were horrendous places? The central message of it for me is that being a good person is a very complicated thing. And we have a tendency in our society to want to have cartoon villains. And really, things are a lot more complex than that. So in the case of these places, there's no one person that could be pinpointed as being at fault. It was an institutional thing. And sometimes people work as a, as a, as a mechanism, as an apparatus, as a, as a group where bad things can happen. And it's not just your easy villain, you know. Being good is hard work. Yes, and that sounds like a very important message for this day and age. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. So where can people see this if they're old enough to watch it? How old do they have to be to watch it? Uh, actually, it's 15. 15, okay, UK. right, yeah. So you can see it on Sky Cinema and Amazon Prime, and it'll be moving to film four in the new year. 
Fantastic. Now, you've also spoken about being a single parent working in the film industry. Um, what kind of challenges did you face and what would you advise anyone in a similar position? Well, I mean, obviously the first one is financial because it's expensive raising a kid, as you're going to find out. Mm, lovely, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it also takes up a lot of time, so you're, you have poverty in terms of a lack of money, and if you're by yourself, you don't have someone to support you, and then also you're impoverished in terms of your time and what you can put into things. Mm. So um, my son was born when I was 17, and when I look back now, I think I don't know how on earth I managed to do wow. all of that, mm. but and I wouldn't go through it again. But there is always a way to, as you were saying earlier, to achieve what you want to achieve if you mm. continue to work hard and just stay focused and don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Nobody was telling me I could do it when I was a working class single parent at 17, I'll tell you that. Just keep going. I was just thinking about that and I think the people that I work for and that I'm going back to work for kind of starting next week and stuff are helping me. But I think that's only because I've been working for them for a few years. I'm not sure if you're trying to break into the industry that there's the help there or that there's the alliance and the kind of leeway given. And I think it is really hard for people if they don't have that and they're trying to break in and they've got those kind of demands on them. Well, Raising Films do really great work. I don't know if yes, you're aware of them. So Raising Films is an initiative um, trying to help parents and carers in the film industry and to provide more provision for childcare and support. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such an important thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, uh, you know, hats off to Raising Films for what they're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Tell us what you're working on next, I think. Um, I have several things in development, so what I'll actually make depends on the powers that be and where the money comes from. I have a project called uh, Cunning Folk that I didn't actually write, it's by another writer. It's from the team who made The Ritual, um, which mm. did pretty well last year, and it's a folk horror film. I also have a thriller that I am writing with um, producer Marianne Madalana in Los Angeles, and Marianne, speaking of women in film, Marianne's great, so she produced all of Wes Craven's films, Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, all of those movies on the TV series as well. So she's producing uh, this. It's a thriller called Slow Burn, set around a custody battle. Fantastic. Well, good luck with all of that. Thank and you. thank you for joining Girls on Film. Please stick around. We're going to chat a bit about some films and current releases. So um, now, as mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil is in cinemas now. Um, so obviously it's the follow-up to the 2014 family fantasy starring Angelina Jolie as the sometimes evil godmother of Aurora, played by Elle Fanning. They made friends in the last film, but now that Aurora is getting married, that could change. Let's have a look at a trailer of Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Philip asked me to marry him. No. I wasn't really asking. Nor was I. Love doesn't always end well, Beastie. Trust me, let us prove you wrong. You have done an admirable job going against your own nature to raise this child. But now she will finally get the love of a real mother. Tonight, I consider Aurora my own. There is no union. There will be no wedding. What have you done? We go home now. Aurora! 
There you go, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. And um, as you can see from that, it's a good looking film with a lot of very uh, prominent female characters. And um, you've got Michelle Pfeiffer as the potential mother-in-law of Elle Fanning. I don't know how you felt about that, Sashing, but I loved seeing Angelina Jolie and Michelle Pfeiffer pitted against each other in a film. Yeah, that was the, the most fun element of this film, I think. Yeah, that's a treat to see them against each other. They're both great actresses. When you say the most fun element, that means that you didn't enjoy it too no, much overall? I mean, I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it. It's, it's a spectacle. It's beautiful. And uh, a lot of everything went into this movie, obviously. But uh, I wasn't sure about what it is ultimately saying and what the ultimate point of it is. To reflect back on what I spoke about earlier, it does engage in kind of lazy stereotyping of villains yeah. and good people. So, well, first of all, she's not evil at all. She's actually quite good. But uh, there's a lot of death in this film, which surprised yes. me. There's a lot of like actual slaughter. And given that it's marketed for kids, I thought that was strange. But it's like all these people get slaughtered and nobody really minds. It's all fine at the end. There's no complexity in how this yeah. war is taking place. It's almost a bit cartoony, although of course it's a live action film. But yeah, and that's very, very sketchy in that respect. Mm. It was very confusing that the, all the trailers and the promotional artwork makes it look like she's this dark, evil character but actually she's just misunderstood yeah. she's sort of being chased out of town but then she softens a bit doesn't mm. she and um but but I, I thought it was almost like an acknowledgement that they needed a new female buddy because she's been she's turned nice so let's bring michelle pfeiffer in yeah. it was quite funny at the beginning though because they have the scene where she has to go and meet the parents of the prince that um, elle fanning's going to marry and um there's this comedy scene where she's trying to contain her horns and contain her and trying to smile and actually i didn't realize how angelina jolie can be actually quite funny when she's sort of trying, trying yeah, to smile yeah. um, it, was, it was funny but I, I felt that a lot of her problems could have been solved if she just spoken said what was happening so she was completely misunderstood in that scene but i did like the fact that you're trying to avoid spoilers but um that when she goes into a different realm and she meets um, people played by chiwetel for amongst others who i wanted to see a lot more of in this film in every way i think it got kind of interesting potentially but we, we've got to dance around this a bit but i thought the introduction of all those characters in a different tribe was not only visually exciting but also quite potentially thematically exciting but they just dropped it and didn't do anything interesting with it yeah, I think they also did the thing that people tend to do when they're depicting some imagined culture and they, ju they just go for sort of people at a festival type vibe. You know? They, they <laughs> yeah. came across like, you know, people doing fire poi at a festival. It's like that's, you could be more imaginative. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, the, the costumes, they really, they are a very large part of this film and the first film, as you remember. And they are, I do think they are intended to colour the characters in quite a lot of detail. So if you notice that Michelle Pfeiffer's wardrobe, was there was always something a bit off with it. And I think that was kind of deliberate that her dresses were terribly glamorous, but also just not quite right. Um, mm -hmm. But Angelina looked incredibly sexy, mm -hmm. even when, you know, especially when she's sort of falling around and her clothes are sort of falling off her. It's quite <laughs> I think disarming. she can wear pretty much anything, you know. <laughs> yeah, she looked extraordinary. But I do think this has one of the best examples of a walk-in wardrobe of any film that I've seen. And it turns into something else, not to give too much away. Um, would you recommend it uh, generally? Who would you recommend it to, if anyone? I don't know. I mean, I think it's interesting from a design standpoint and it's beautifully shot. But as I say, I wouldn't, if I had a daughter, I wouldn't necessarily take her to this. I think it reinforces tired gender stereotypes about women. Do you? In what way? Well, because it's basically mothers, women are natural mothers. They, if they're not, they're, they are bad. Nurturing is a natural trait that all women have. This kind of stuff, which I don't really think has any place in a modern society. 
I think that's a good point, I think, because there's a few scenes where they sort of try to imply that she's feeling a bit maternal and wistful, as if she's, you know, eternally miserable because she never had a child of her own and, yeah. and, and, and bitter. And it's, yeah, that's a I don't, I don't like when things define women by their children or lack of children. Yeah, absolutely right. Okay. So the second film up for review is a very different beast. It's called Home. It is a documentary. It's the story of Sarah Alton's attempt to go around the world by her own power. It's directed by Jen Randall. I thought it was a heartfelt and personal story. Um, she, she's very confessional. She talks to camera. Um, this shows the hardships and the challenges of her journey with a sense of humour. Let's have a look at the trailer, give you a flavour for it. I have a theory that if I can journey a solid line around the world using only human power, then perhaps all will become clear. I am the engine. saying, just checking that you don't want me to arrange a pickup. We've got 30 hours. I said no. I hope I don't regret that. My dad's death, never asking for help, ignoring my health. My need to keep running took me so close to an edge and so close to walking off it. Why am I holding on to this journey so tightly? That was Home from Sarah Uton. A very interesting documentary, and you've seen it, haven't you, Verona? Mm, so we're yeah. going to discuss this between mm -hmm. us and, and um, see if we can recommend it or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, how did you find the experience of watching it? I loved it. I did. I was in awe. I was in awe watching it and left in awe. But it did make me slightly anxious. It did bring on um, anxiety a little, watching her in some of the situations that she goes through, which is interesting given that the reason she's doing it is mental health and, you know, for reasons like that. But, I mean, she's in her little boat. and Tiny boat, like yeah, a solo boat. And she's in that for months on end. But in particular, a storm hits and the way the boat's designed is that if it capsizes, it will right itself. That's how it works. And she's trained to kind of go in and strap herself down in the little bit inside and just wait it out. But she can sometimes have to wait it out for like three days, oh like where goodness. she's just upside down in the ocean. Um, just like waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> that, the, the, and those were the moments that I find hard to kind of watch and wonder why you would ever put yourself through that. But it. she was like, you know, you can't help but just be totally in awe of her and what she did. She's a really engaging personality. Mm. As you can see from that trailer, she's a really sweet girl and, and really um, gung-ho and didn't really know what she was getting herself in for. But the way she talks to camera, you totally understand, you know, that naivety yeah. and you're totally with her and wishing her well, aren't you? Going, come on, you can do it. But she does talk quite a lot, but to me, not enough about her mental health mm. because I felt... She talks about her father passing away and she talks about having breakdowns, but she doesn't perhaps fully explain, perhaps she doesn't know herself, the reasons for going to such great extremes. Yeah, I kind of felt like it was mentioned a little bit at the start, but very vaguely. I didn't realise that was the reason she was doing it. You know, she said a line about doing it for her dad and I was like, oh, that's why she's doing it. I didn't realise. I thought it was just a, a kind of goal, a kind of, you know, achievement that she wanted it. And then it 
kind of slightly felt tacked on at the end that that's why she went to those lengths not that it didn't make it less enjoyable for me I still think it was so impressive like you know the continents and stuff that she just goes you you just want to see her reach the next kind of part part of that kind of documentary style that I never quite get but get that it just has to be that way is because it is her documenting every moment you know she is literally solo for um, so much of it is how you remember to grab the camera when you're crying and have a breakdown and I get that that's part of it but there's just it's just always slightly jars with me that you know if you're in the middle of a breakdown when do you have that moment where you go oh I really must grab the camera you know and just kind of <laughs> I suppose for her that. it might be just that if you're out there all by yourself the, the camera only, feels like another yeah, person yeah totally you know? but sometimes you just you feel you do feel intrusive in those moments you know that she's yeah. had to grab the camera and show us her breakdown but I like that it clearly was about mental health, but I like that it wasn't like a happy ending or it didn't cure. Like, I like that it was kind of realistic in its yeah. treatment of that. She talks about what happens after and stuff yeah. with her and it wasn't um, the cure, you know. And it did make, maybe want to go travelling, not in a tiny little boat, yeah. but it, but I thought it communicated that sort of, that wanderlust feeling when, you know, meeting people from different cultures. Oh, and yeah. When, when she has little snapshots of meeting different communities. And the companions and stuff that she yes, picks up along the way. Yes, is amazing, <laughs> this fantastic chap yeah. who, you know, they're so different, aren't they? But then he joins her as a cyclist for for weeks on the road. Yeah, yeah. and then and he and then leaves, and you feel kind of sad when yeah. he leaves. Although she didn't kind of treat it in a very overly sentimental way. You just you don't actually get to see the the point where he leaves her, even though you've been enjoying them as a kind of little double act. You know. Yeah, did you think act. that was a problem? Would you have rather seen them say farewell? Oh, well, I was a little sad to see him go, and I thought she might be too. But he, he was one minute he was there, and the next he he wasn't. And um, you know, there could be many reasons for that. But um, I quite like the way she she listed like. These are five things I like, I like about <laughs> having him around. These are five things I don't like yeah. about having him around. So she was sort of diplomatic, but also saying that, you know, complete stranger she met who decided to tag along for no yeah. other reason than he wanted to do it. It could have gone horribly wrong. Yeah. I couldn't believe that it just kind of lucked out that he was a nice person. It, was, it, was, <laughs> yeah. it made it quite entertaining and funny. So uh, in short, would you recommend this film home to people? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I just, you know, people climbing mountains metaphorically or whatever, just kind of my kind of thing so yeah you will be very very impressed it is like a mammoth task that she undertakes and there are moments where I just wonder why a human being would put themselves through that but really enjoyable yeah I would totally yeah. recommend it and wonderful to see, to see a woman making a film like this about yeah. her own incredible you know efforts yeah. so yeah. yeah so um you can see all the current booked UK screenings at sarahoutonhome.com and uh, you can look out for it from mid-feb 2020 online Thank you for doing those films with me. That was great to have a little up-to-date review section. We also often like to ask our guests what classic films they love and what they want to talk about, whether it's from a gender perspective. So I have asked you both to pick out a few. I'm going to start with you, Brona. And your first choice is In the Name of the Father. Mm -hmm. Tell us why you picked this. For many reasons, it is a big film for me. Um, I kind of have a personal story with it in that when they were casting for this in, I'm trying to remember the year, 1991 maybe or 92, they came to my school to look for children who could play the part of Daniel Day-Lewis's little sister in the film. And I went to a school where a lot of like TV and film people did come there 
to kind of get a slice of kind of real Belfast children or whatever. The teachers told us the day before they selected, you know, who was going to kind of go in for the audition and sent us home with a permission slip or something to say that we'd be doing it. And of course, all the parents got, you know, we didn't unfortunately know at the time being 11 or 12 we didn't know who Daniel Day-Lewis was but all the parents got very excited and we're like get a picture you know make sure you, you, you see him and stuff and we were like well, what is he and I remember people explaining he's very tall you know distinguished English man you'll you'll know him you will know him you know when you're you're acting with him and then the next day we went in and we had like a a few hours to audition with them and it was very like you know we had to improvise and we had to go into a room and kind of do an improvised um scene and dialogue but we were really disappointed because we were like we didn't get to do it with Daniel de Lewis he, he wasn't there and um we stood and we took our photograph with the actor that we you know did do the scenes and stuff with and then when we showed the picture to the um parents they were like that is Daniel Day-Lewis and we were like that was some man from Belfast because he was already in character and he was already doing the Belfast he accent does the method yeah thing. and yeah. we didn't know as being 11 and 12 we didn't realize that he was already in character as uh Terry Conlon as a, um, a man that had you know, lived his whole life in, in Belfast. And it was just so convincing that we were just constantly looking at the door for this English guy to get arrived, not knowing that that was who we did, you know, the scenes and stuff That's with. And it brilliant. wasn't until, it wasn't until later. So yeah, that was just, it's just something that always pops into my head whenever. So I one see. of your first scenes ever was with Daniel Day-Lewis. I could, I've never thought of it like that. I but think yeah, you I should think of it like that. Put that on the CV. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and of course, this film also stars Emma Thompson. Yeah. We're going to watch a clip from the film mm. with Emma Thompson, but do you want to just briefly explain to the audience what her role is in the film? Yeah, she's the, um, the lawyer that, um, comes on board, not until later because it's a, it's a true story. She comes on later to defend, um, Giuseppe and works alongside Jerry Conlin trying to, yeah, acquit them and, and get them off. And she's just a very, well, you'll see, yeah, she just, very compelling. Yeah, yeah. Very let's have a look at this clip of Emma Thompson in, in the name of the father. Do you know who this is, Mr. Dixon? No, I don't. Well then, would you be so kind as to read the statement that you took from him on the 3rd of November 1974? A statement, my lord, which vindicates all of these people, all these innocent people. My lord, people, I need to someone, see a copy of someone, this Someone, either that man or, or his superior, or his superior's superior, ordered that these people be used as scapegoats by a nation that was paying for blood. My lord! In return for the innocent blood spilled on the streets of Guildford, and by God, you got Pierce your is blood, a political speech. This is You've got the lifeblood of Carol Richardson, and you've got 15 Mrs. years Pierce, of blood and sweat and pain from my client, whose only crime was it wasn't. Silence he was, he was bloody well fire. Irish, and he was foolish, and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mrs. Pierce, I will have you removed from the court. How brilliant is Emma Thompson? <laughs> Hi, yeah, I've Discuss. been in love with her ever since I saw her. That, and I think that was probably the first film I kind of became aware of her. And I'm sure it's tied up in so many things. It's a big film politically for people here. Um, I went to see the film in the area of Belfast where Jerry Collins stuff's from. And there was a cheer in the cinema whenever moments like that were, were happening. But then just on a, as a child that I was obviously interested in acting and wanted to do it, just watching her in moments like that. And I always remember that she was given this kind of performance that I always associated with men. Like it's almost something that you would see Dustin Hoffman give because she wasn't this slick 
solicitor that you know kind of knew what she was doing a lot of the film you see her bumbling around with a cold like you know she's made all these kind of um brilliant choices that just made her so human which is great for that character because she is the character that understands the injustice that's um that's happened and from there i just kind of became obsessed with her and everything that she did and she was an actress that also Right, and so that just became a big thing as well. Cool. I think you a fan of Emma Thompson. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. Who isn't good? <laughs> <laughs> a few other lovely films that you mentioned. I just wanted to touch on briefly. Mm. The Color Purple. Tell me about when you first saw that and why you loved it. Again, I think I was quite young, and a lot of these films and the ones I chose, I think it's because there are women who are not just emotionally strong and stuff. They're you know they're not, but I have a real thing I've I've realised, and I think I've only worked it out today for physically strong and you know physical elements within the film and it was a slice into a time and a lifestyle that I probably just didn't really know and I remember I think I watched it on TV and I was on my own there was no one else in the house and I wanted to kind of run out and tell someone about this film that I was watching because it was just a harrowing kind of touching story and um, it was the sisterly kind of friendship I think that might run through some of the other films and stuff too that I I was obviously just intrigued by these um the bonds between these women and god there's no bigger bond than in the color purple you know yeah that's a really good point because I think in Girls on Film we do really like to explore films in which young women and older women interact with each other and they're not just the token girlfriend mm. or the mm. token wife and that's the reason that we have put some films to the Bechdel test mm-hmm. um, So, and this yeah. would obviously pass but we've got a clip from the next film that you picked out which also passes the Bechdel test with flying colours and that is the film Bridesmaids <laughs> let's have a look at a clip with Kristen Wiig and John Hamm from Bridesmaids but I like hanging out with you. Oh, yeah. I love hanging out with you. I think we get along really well, and you're so sexy. And I know. Mm. I just, you know, I just have a lot coming up oh. at work, and, and, and I just, I don't want to make promises I can't keep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know you do. Yeah. We're on the same page. I mean, I don't, I'm not looking for a relationship right now either. Let's just say that. I just, whatever you want to, I can do, you know, I'd rather just... I like simple, not like other girls. Where I'm like, be my boyfriend. Unless you were like, yeah. And I'd be like, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, I don't want that either. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is so awkward. I really want you to leave, but I don't know how to say it without sounding like a dick. That was a great clip from Bridesmaids. I just think that beautifully exemplifies how funny but spot on that film is talking about relationships and and how women unfortunately can so easily be exploited by by a man who's (laughs) using them. (laughs) And it just put female friendships at the forefront of the the film is all about that. The you know, the men kind of fall second to that and um, it was just so refreshing when it came out. Um, I just loved it. And if it's on, I can't not watch it. Like, it's still just hilarious to me. And it was just iconic and really stylish and was doing all the things that I'd probably only seen, like Reservoir Dogs and stuff, do all that stuff. Like, you know that it was Kirsten Wake's idea and that she, she had written a great script, but, like, it's just one of those examples of when all the elements kind of fall into place yeah. and create something 
And special. quietly groundbreaking. I mean, it's mm. helped continue to pave the way for more female-led stories in comedy, I mm -hmm. think. And like Booksmart is another great film which mm. we featured this year. I think perhaps it would have been hard to get that finance without Bridesmaids. It was brilliant to see a romantic comedy. Well, not even a romantic comedy. It's a, it's a romantic comedy, isn't yeah. it? It's between two women, really. Totally. Yeah, which is lovely. So thank you so much for those brilliant thank choices. You. And now we're going to turn to Ashling and find out what she has chosen. The first one is an iconic film. It is all about Eve. Tell us why you picked this. I mean, I love Betty Davis. I love absolutely everything that Betty Davis did. And this is probably her most iconic role. It's a beautifully written film. The dialogue in this is just absolute perfection. It's still on the top 10 uh, Writers Guild of America list of the best ever screenplays. It's really, really spectacularly re well written. And she's, all the characters in this actually are quite complex and particularly Betty Davis's character is, people talk about strong female characters. And sometimes that means some kind of badass woman who can just squint and kick everybody's ass, you know. But I think complex, I want to see human people who have interesting, complex human reactions to things. And that's what this character does the whole way through. She's a real person. I think that's important for us to see representations of human women on screen, not just archetypes. I couldn't agree more. Let's have a look at a clip of Betty Davis in action. Funny business, a woman's career. The things you drop on your way up the ladder so you can move faster. You forget you'll need them again when you get back to being a woman. It's one career all females have in common, whether we like it or not. Being a woman. Sooner or later, we've got to work at it. No matter how many other careers we've had or wanted. And in the last analysis, nothing's any good unless you can look up just before dinner or turn around in bed and there he is without that you're not a woman you're something with a french provincial office or a, a book full of clippings but you're not a woman and that in itself that script is so interesting for its time don't you think and so relevant now that conversation she's having yeah i think it is and actually it's very funny too it doesn't yeah, <laughs> that yeah. is not one of the funnier clips but it is very very funny film very witty and uh, i think it is relevant people think of old films as being less progressive than modern films but i think a lot of the time characters and films from the 30s and 40s mm -hmm. were so complex and interesting and uh, i would like to see more and she's an older character she's playing a 40 year old woman who's trying to find out how to exist in the Hollywood star system or the Broadway star system, actually. And I think that's still a relevant thing now. I mean, Massive. we know that roles for women once they hit 40 go downhill until they come back up as the grandmother again. And it's really depressing. <laughs> it's so true. We've actually got um, a special episode at the moment of Girls on Film with Linda Hamilton from Terminator oh, Films. And she was, of course, um, groundbreaking and, and still and as an older woman now, she's doing action roles. But she was saying very interestingly that, you know, actually women in films in those days were very complex and very strong and interesting you don't have to be an action heroine to be strong so there are lots of different ways you can be a you know boxer or you can be just a kick-ass woman so yeah. yeah now your next choice plays into the halloween theme again a little bit it is the craft you want to set this one up for us well i saw this when i came out i was like 15 i think and i just i've always been a horror fan anyway and this was just my absolute perfect thing at the time it was girls my kind of age who were kind of a bit outsidery and so was I and again they were particularly the Fruza bulk character is interesting and weird I don't even need to see just 
female characters that I that I think are good role models. I also want to see weirdos. I want to see women who are have strange things going on and who do strange and weird things. And that's what she's like. She's got um, a lot of problems, this girl. And it was just, I loved everything about it. I loved the whole style of it. I was 15, this was the film for me. I loved it too. Let's have a look at the trailer for The Craft. To the other kids at St. Bernard Academy, they were the girls who didn't belong. Whatever you do, stay away from them. Why? They're witches. But after years of being on the outside... Why'd you lie about me? I don't want to go out with you again. Please, stop begging, it's pathetic. Four girls are about to discover the dark side. You ever heard of invoking the spirit? Black magic. I love that. We are the weirdos. It's Mr. such a good line. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I actually have a T-shirt that says that. Do you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. you should have worn it today. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Yeah. But it's great. Let's talk a little bit more. I mean, like Feruza Borg, she was like the ultimate goth girl. I don't know. We haven't seen so much of her lately. But I think it, especially when you, you were that age watching those films, it's really important to see people that don't conform to the stereotype of the norm. Yes, I think so. And also it said interesting things about bullying and uh, these girls who were being, they were being bullied. And in some instances, really quite horribly, there was the girl who's played by Rachel True, the mixed race girl, and uh, she just has horrible racist bullying directed at her every day. I was bullied in school as well, and I don't think I'd seen that represented before in a film, so I think that's important. And it's a bit about young women being able to take control, but obviously the danger of doing so yeah. in witchcraft, yes. <laughs> as opposed to more traditional means. <laughs> um, but yeah, craft, great film, check it out if you haven't seen it, people. So yeah. thank you for giving us your favourites there. I'm going to move on to a short segment where I'm going to talk about the British Independent Film Awards because we had the nominations the other day and they're going to be on December the 1st, 2019. And it's always so lovely to see people that we've had on Girls on Film celebrated. So the film for Sama, an extraordinary documentary, um, that's up for Best British Independent Film, Best Documentary, Best Director and Best Music. And we featured um, an interview with the director, Wad Al-Khatib, in episode 20. So do check that out. The Souvenir, we featured that in episode 16, and that's had a ton of nominations. And one of my favourite films of this year, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, has been nominated for Best International Independent Film. Good luck anyone trying to beat that in the Biffers, is what I'd say <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, Dirty God is a really interesting British film. We featured it um, in both episode five and episode six. It's um, a Dutch director, Sacha Pollock, and um, it was filmed in Britain. And Vicky Knight, who stars in it, is scarred um, in real life. And it's such um, groundbreaking casting to have cast a woman with actual scars in a role like this. And she's down for most promising newcomer and best actress. It's amazing. This is her first role ever, mm. and she's up for those two. The writer's from Northern Ireland, you know. Go writer from Northern Ireland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would recommend it. It's, it's one of those kind of naturalistic films, but also challenges kind of assumptions about beauty and attractiveness and how we judge value and how we judge people based mm. on their looks. That's mm. really interesting yeah, subject material. Mm. It's really interesting, but it's also quite funny and charming as well. It's not sort of weighing it down with its seriousness. Another really funny and charming one is Wild Rose, which we featured in episode six when we were up in Glasgow. That's got best actress for Jessie Buckley mm. and lots of other nominations for the Biffers. So on the subject of awards, I am also on the EE Rising Star Award BAFTA jury for 2020. So I wanted to give a shout out to that and my, some of my fellow panellists, including Vanessa Kirby, Cynthia Arrivo, Larishka Ivanzada, Edith Bowman and Lucy Bevan, plenty more. We met the other day at the Savoy and we made a shortlist of five rising stars. 
It's such a lovely jury to be on because you get to reward people who are at the beginning of their career. They're just starting to capture the imagination of the British public. Last year's winner was Letitia Wright for Black Panther. This year's nominees will be announced on the 6th of January 2020. The great thing about this, this is the only BAFTA that the public can vote for. So we choose the five nominees and then you get to vote. So you can phone up and vote and vote online. So look out for the nominations for that. Now, this is kind of my favourite bit, no offence to my panellists, because we've got the audience Q&A now. <laughs> you guys have been absolutely amazing, but I love to hear what people in the audience have to say about what we've been talking about, or about film in general, women in film, how to be a filmmaker, how to be an actor, anything you want to ask or bring to the table. We have a roving mic, so please pop your hand up and wait for the mic. <laughs> I was just wondering if you had any comments on Maleficent. Um, Angelina was sitting, she was standing, or... Uh, their wings and everything, but she was like wearing a skimpy outfit. I was wondering if you thought that was really necessary, because I personally didn't. <laughs> I haven't seen either of the films, so I don't know if it was appropriate or not, but I was just wondering if you could comment on that. Yeah, that's very interesting. I was um, talking to our producer, Heather, about that last night, saying that I did feel it was almost inappropriately sexy for a family film. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know, they all looked incredibly glamorous, but she she really does have some very, very skimpy, tight-fitting outfits. And actually, to be fair, the men are sexualized a bit as well. It's not necessarily gender-specific. But I did feel a little uncomfortable with it for that age range, you know, for a PG film. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of, let's face it, fairly unrealistic, hard-to-achieve body shape, <laughs> something that we should be celebrating in something aimed at young people but what I mean what did you think? Well I think you know it's Angeline Jolie and obviously she's a very attractive woman and they're just getting their mileage out of that I think but I agree with you I don't think it was necessary to have her really very skimpy at times in a kids film. Yeah I, don't know. I think you can look empowered and gorgeous and sexy and, and which they did in, in more clothes and it was a shame she that they had to. She certainly can yeah. Yeah and she certainly can yeah and, they, and I think I mean, I'm a big fan of shoulder detail. It's fantastic when she had these amazing shoulders and these great horns, and she can still look beautiful without having, you know, being wrapped in bandages or something like that. But yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Question. question. <laughs> uh, we're in Belfast uh, here for the show, and um, I know that Game of Thrones has been filmed here, and uh, you're both women working in the film industry in Belfast. And I wonder if you could tell us something about the industry here at the moment. Yeah. Is it thriving? Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about this before the mm. show, so we both went to Queen's and studied film there different years, but uh, quite close together, yeah. really. And um, the film, I graduated in 2004, and back then the film industry in Belfast was practically non-existent. <laughs> there was just, people weren't making fil feature films here, really. There were some documentaries happening on TV, but not films. And Game of Thrones, whether you like it or whether you hate it, it's, when they brought that here, it completely revitalized the whole industry so that now we have facilities like Yellow Moon post-production, we have uh, the Paint Hall Studios, and we also, crucially, have crew on the ground here that didn't have to emigrate and go somewhere yeah. else. So we have world-class DPs and editors and every element that you need to shoot your So they were shooting my short films and, and your short films. And the crew and are in such high demand and there are so many things shooting here at the same time now that you can sometimes struggle to crew your own That's true, yeah. um, you know, project, which is just crazy given where things were. Um, 10 years ago, um, everyone did always leave. Everyone did have to go to London for work. And now everyone's, you know, 
coming back or the people from London and stuff are coming to Come find here, work yeah. mm-hmm. here. It's great to see the sign. You can see the base, you know, when there's a unit base of something filming, you, you see them, you used to spot the odd one or two if there was, you know, a Troubles drama being shot and that was it. And now, you know, I love just spotting all the different colours and all the initials and trying to guess what the TV series is yeah, or what the yeah. film is because they're just everywhere, um, not just in Belfast, in Northern Ireland, just making use of all the locations. Yeah. Um, Which is great for grassroots, uh, for encouraging new filmmakers coming up if any of you guys are filmmakers or you want to be you will get the crew yeah, helping you crew we here. we had um game of thrones crew on both shorts that we made and mm. um, people will help you you know if you are trying to make your film you can work with some of the best people in the industry at the minute doing your you know short film on a weekend it's it's crazy who will say yes and who will help you out and if I were you I would make so much use of them. <laughs> it's fantastic isn't it? It's wonderful how that's really transformed people's possibilities perhaps. Yeah, yeah. It's like back in yeah. the day I was shooting films with my dad's old movie cameras you know like 16 millimeter or 8 millimeter and now I didn't have access to anything else but it's all completely changed. Yeah I'm sure we do have some aspiring filmmakers in here. Do any of them want to ask our panel any specific questions about filmmaking? Elliot there. Hi, thank you. Um, in regards to business and career, do you think you really need to stay genre specific to what you're writing or creating? Or do you think that you can jump from, you know, film types? So like, for example, if you're making short dramas, is it a bad career move to also make documentaries and other things like that? I think you should do whatever and as many things that are interesting and inspiring to you as you can. I've done everything. I've done documentaries, I've done factual TV, I've done theatre, I've done radio. I've literally done everything that you can do <laughs> in the, that is to do with performing arts mm-hmm. and, I, and all of it was useful and none of it hurt me because at the end of the day, if you've got a good idea, you've got passion, you've got talent, that's what will come to the front. Yeah, I wouldn't limit yourself because there will be other people out there that will be glad to do that for you. So if you want to, you know, stretch yourself across a number of different projects, I would. I, I agree with Ashley and I do the same. I read on teenage kind of shows while um, doing adult dramas, while trying to write short films. And I still have a love of theatre and stuff that I want to do. Don't limit yourself and don't listen. There probably will be people that say, oh, it's better if you're kind of like one thing. But that's, I think that day has gone. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. I think that's very true. And also, do you think that as a woman, you have to almost be slightly more assertive? I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, I'm a director and we're supposed to be really like going in and shouting at everybody, whatever. I have no idea how anybody else does their job because I just do mine. I also have no idea how any other woman approaches that kind of work because I only know me. So um, I don't know. There might be a perception that you're softer, it's easier to get away with things or something. I don't know. I do know that when I was a film student, I was told by someone in the industry that I didn't have the right personality to be a director. And I think I always thought that what they meant by that was that I wasn't Um, I came across as gentler than they feel a director should be. But there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. And at the end of the day, if you can communicate your vision for the film to all the members of the crew and the cast, that's what a director does. There is not one way to do that. And whichever way you can do that that's best for you, that's how you do it. How did you feel when they said that to you? I was really pissed off. Yeah. (laughs) And then you showed them, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, well done. Actually, the whole thing was just about revenge. I'm just going (laughs) to... You've definitely shown them. Bravo. Any other questions? 
Um, I know you mentioned you didn't really write much until you went to London mm -hmm. and I was wondering did you find you know moving into writing being an actress difficult or or, or easy you know, yeah no I didn't I think it might be easier now I think there's been a shift but I didn't at the at the time to the point where I didn't actually say I was an actress in the room in the writing room and a lot of people just thought I was a writer and then maybe something that I was in someone would come into the writing room and say did I see you on such and such and that was kind of like how they found out that I was also a writer I think I personally had a thing that I might not be taken as seriously and I used to really worry and I used to kind of lie I used to have the people that thought I was a writer and the people that thought I was an actor and I used to just hope that they just never <laughs> never met um, and it never worked out like that but I think that's changed now and I think people like Phoebe Wallerbridge and stuff are just showing that you don't have to just say that you're one thing that you can be both or you can be three things or whatever it's thankfully becoming more mainstream and more normal oh, that's a really good question thank you uh you were saying about doing both acting and writing what industry did you think was the most difficult to start out in but they're both hard I'm, i don't want to portray that either was easy because uh, i get that they're they're not but um I think acting is always going to be harder to start off in and to just try and maintain because you are dependent on so many other people giving you work. You know, you only come in as an actor at a certain point in the process and that's once a script's been written and it's greenlit and it goes into production and everyone else has said that this is happening and you're kind of like the last you know one of the last kind of um, people that are brought on board so so much of it is out of your hands you audition and you just hope that you fit the bill and you just hope that you are the best person on that day and that they want to go with you Whereas writing, I'm not saying that it's easier, but you can write every day. You can't really act every day. You can't stand in your living room just, you know, giving out monologues, but you can actually sit at your desk and write a page or write 10 pages. So it was easier to get started and it was easier to write scripts and have something to submit to people and have something to show, which thankfully led to work. So I'm going to go with writing, but I'm not saying that writing's easy to get into. I'm just saying it's easier to do because there's no one stopping you. And if nobody's writing good roles, you can write them yourself. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, there was one question behind me, but we have to make it a very quick one, I'm afraid, but thank you. Um, I'll try to be as quick as possible. But um, <laughs> I was just wondering, as females within the industry and also um, females from Northern Ireland, do you ever feel imposter syndrome? And if you do, just how do you cope with it? <laughs> Yeah, truthfully, yeah, and particularly because I'm also working class and like no one in my family went to university or anything like that. So everything I was doing was a complete brand new thing. And I, I had a little kid as well. My parents thought I was crazy for even wanting to go to university. So you do have times when you question yourself and I think that's really common. I Almost everybody I know well admits to having imposter syndrome at some stage. I think the thing to keep hold of is that your vision for whatever it is that you want to do is totally unique to you. There's nobody else in the entire world that can do it. It exists in your head. And if you don't make it come to life, it just won't happen. So that's how I get through it. If I have a day like that, I just think it's my responsibility to put this forward. And that's what I focus on. I agree. Big imposter syndrome here um, and have it every time I start a job. And um, I think I'm getting better at de dealing with it. But um, and had that thing of being, oh, my God, I'm, I'm the Northern Irish. I'm the Belfast girl sitting in a room of people. I just felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. But you slowly realize that you have just as much right as 
the other people. And also I'd say that, you know, don't let them bring you on just as specific to Northern Irish as the Northern Irish voice, as the like kind of Irish storyteller or whatever. You know, we can tell the universal stories just as well as everyone else. I don't, I don't, there used to be, I used to, get angry thinking that the person from London or England, you know, just had was able to speak on behalf of everyone, whereas I was being hired to speak on behalf of just, you know, Belfast people. It's not that it doesn't work that way. You you have just as much right and you can tell stories just as well as everyone else. Thank you. That was a great question to end on. And um, you have just both been absolutely terrific guests. Huge thanks to Bernard Taggart and Ashley Clark. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been amazing. Round of applause for you. Also, love to thank Heather Archbold of HLA Productions for producing, Jane Long for audio producing, our intern Jessica Mason, and Cinemagic Festival for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you, audience. You've all been tremendous. I would love you to go and listen to the podcast. You can get it on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. You can review us. Maybe just tell a few friends if you like it. Spread the word. You can follow me at Anna Smith Journal on Twitter and Instagram. And if you find yourself in Manchester on the 3rd of December, We'll be at home. Thank you all very much for being Girls on Film. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Girls on Film is an HLA production produced by Hedda Archbold and Jane Long. We are the weirdos from this